Philippians chapter 2, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 19 through uh, verse 30. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord, that I myself shall also come shortly. And I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all, and was distressed, because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, his holy word. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice again. Thanks to you for, again, for this opportunity and just to be able to look to your word for truth, for wisdom and guidance. We acknowledge that your word is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And that it truly speaks to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that, especially uh, even this morning, even now, that your spirit is already applying your word uh, to each of our hearts, that we all might be drawn closer to you, and that as your word goes forth in the power of the spirit, we do pray that it would find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil that will truly bring about a, a great and abundant fruit for your glory. Father, we just pray for your blessing upon your holy word. In the name of your blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, over the last several weeks in our study of Philippians, we've been challenged to live as saints, to live as true disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, both in the ministry of the church, as well as in the midst of our daily lives. We know from our own life and faith experiences that it's much easier, of course, to call yourself a Christian than it is to actually live as a Christian is called to live. Back in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we were given that great high example which which Jesus uh, gives to us and which Paul urged us to imitate even in our own lives. A commitment to unity, a commitment to humility, a commitment to putting the needs and concerns of others before our own. And of course, striving to be faithfully obedient to God's Word, even 
if it leads to death. That's a pretty tall order. And certainly as we strive to be like Christ, we can easily become discouraged because we don't seem to be meeting with much success. Which of course may cause us to wonder whether maybe the bar is just simply set too high for us. We're we're called to be perfect, we're called to be like Christ, but we acknowledge because of that remnant of the sin nature that remains in us, we'll never be perfect, and we'll never be fully like Christ in this life. Even our most strenuous efforts to, uh, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we know will fall very short of that high, perfect standard. And so how can we be expected to do all that God in Christ calls us to do when it seems like we've been given this impossible task? Well, we know the answer, or at least we should. And that is this, we mustn't rely on our own strength to do these things. But only on the grace of God and the presence of the Spirit in us to will and to work for God's good pleasure. You see, when we rest in God's all-sufficient grace, He works in us and He works through us even what seems to us impossible. Now, of course, aware of this high standard and and seeking to ward off any undue discouragement. In our passage this morning, we see the Apostle Paul looking to show the Philippians and us how the grace of God works in and through ordinary people. Ordinary people like you and me. Enabling them to live truly Christ-like lives to the glory of God. And so we'll consider Paul's own example as well as the two faithful servants that he commends and sends to the saints in Philippi, Timothy and Epaphroditus. We'll begin with the Apostle Paul himself. Now, even though Paul was an apostle, and yes, he was greatly gifted by God, and he was used extraordinarily in the advancement of the gospel, well, Paul was, was just an ordinary man. An ordinary man transformed by the gospel and called to live a life of humility, obedience, and Christ-likeness. We see how this ordinary man displayed Christ-likeness by this simple hope and trust that he placed in God. And we see this first in verse 19, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. And then later in verse 24, he says, But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. And so here we see Paul is, is he's making plans. He's being very care, careful and deliberate in his decision making. He's discerning how to best use the resources available that can maximize the desired effect. Paul is using the same basic administrative skills that any good leader, officer, or executive might use to advance his cause. Except Paul isn't looking to, he's not looking for financial profits, he's not looking for increased sales, but he's strategizing the further advance of the gospel, and he's doing so all the time, all the while he's in chains as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He's also doing so in full submission 
to God's will rather than his own. For example, when Paul says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, right here we see that he's identifying his plan and desire that he's going to send a Timothy to Philippi. But he's also submitting his plan to God's plan. I trust in the Lord Jesus. Now it would be the same as if Paul said, Lord willing, I will send Timothy. Or as James teaches in James chapter 4, verse 13, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life. There's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. In other words... We shouldn't be so bold so as to make our plans without first humbly acknowledging God's sovereignty over all things. All that, he, all that happens in the universe, we know, goes according to what God has planned and purpose, not according to what we, the, the lowly creatures, have planned. Paul's trust in the Lord Jesus tells us that he's trusting God to lead and guide him so that God will be glorified in and through him. Now this doesn't mean that Paul makes no plans at all and just kind of wanders around aimlessly and awaiting for some sign from God to tell him what he needs to do next. No, certainly not. Obviously here, Paul is making plans. Just as, he's, as he was making plans earlier in his ministry... Remember, he, back in Acts uh, 16, he wanted to, to go deeper into Asia and take the gospel further into Asia. But we, in Acts 16, 7, the Spirit did not permit him. The Spirit of God prevented him from doing, prevented Paul doing from what he was planning on doing. And so instead of heading west into, uh, into uh, instead of heading east into Asia, Paul goes west into Macedonia. And then ultimately into Europe. Well, simply put, Paul submitted his will to God's will and adapted to the change. He could have been like Jonah and persisted and gone uh, east anyway. But Paul submitted himself, his will, his plan, to God's will and plan and calling. And of course, the result of Paul going west instead of east is that the gospel went to the Philippians. And now there was a congregation of God's people established in that city. But this hope and trust isn't just regarding plans that he makes, but even his own life is entrusted to, uh, to God's plan and purpose. Remember, Paul, Paul's in prison, and he doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. Right? He's waiting for the, the, uh, the judgment to come down. He has an indication, though, as we've seen previously, before he wrote that, that God will, he, uh, may spare him and that he will continue to minister the gospel. But he's not fully certain. And remember his struggle between to be with Christ and yet uh, to be with the Philippians again, which would be more expedient for the gospel. And so Paul doesn't know. He has this idea, I think God, I think the Lord's going to allow me to, to continue. He's not fully certain. 
And so he says here in verse 24, I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Right? So he's making plans to go to visit this, the Philippians, even though he doesn't know what the outcome of this judgment is going to be. But he still, even this, he humbly acknowledges that his life is in God's hands. He trusts that God has a good and perfect plan for his life. Now that could mean that his life will soon end, and he will be with Jesus, which he truly longs for, and as we all truly long to be in the presence of our glorious Savior. But it could also mean that he's released and able to visit the Philippians again. But the point is, Paul's not sitting around just waiting for something to happen. He's making plans. But he's ready to submit his will to the will of God, however it ends up being revealed. Now friends, this may seem like a a rather simple thing. Submitting your plans to God's plan acknowledging His sovereign rule over your plans and over your life, hoping and trusting the Lord by saying, if the Lord wills. And in many ways, it is very simple. But you see, that's just it. By hoping and trusting in God's plan and purpose for his life, rather than trusting in his own plans, Paul is demonstrating in a very simple, very practical way, Christ-likeness. He gives an example that even we as ordinary people can do and accomplish. That we are to to live and seek Christ's likeness by simply submitting our wills to the will of the Heavenly Father in all things. Now a second way Paul shows Christ-likeness is by his very evident devotion to others. Here, especially to the Philippian believers, Paul is is clearly not merely looking out for his own interests, but making the concerns and interests of others a real priority. We see this in his desire to send Timothy to them. Now, although it's certain that Timothy, when he arrives, will catch the Philippians up on on Paul's well-being. In fact, in verse 23, Paul says that he's, he's going to hold Timothy back for a bit until I see how it goes with me. In order that that Timothy might be able to bring an update on his situation to the Philippians. But the chief reason that Paul wants to send Timothy, we see is in verse 19. So that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. See, Paul wants to know about them and about what they're doing And that will be most encouraging to him regardless of the outcome of his his verdict. He doesn't know how long it's going to take for this judgment to come down. Whether he's going to be put to death or whether he's going to be released. It could be quite a while. So he's going to have Timothy wait for a little bit. And then eventually he'll send Timothy. And it's likely, it's possible, that Timothy could get to Philippi and then come back and bring word to Paul about how the Philippian believers are doing which would be a huge encouragement to Paul. And so that's what his desire is. He, he's eager to know about how they're doing. But he's also mindful that the Philippians want to know about how he's doing. And so there's a slight delay. So Paul's concern for the Philippians is also seen, not just sending Timothy eventually, but also in his, his sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. Now, Epaphroditus had gotten sick. 
And when the Philippians heard about it, they were, they were quite anxious. Well, Epaphroditus, on top of, of his sickness, well, then he becomes anxious because he didn't want the Philippians all worried about him. Well, then we have Paul. And Paul was concerned and anxious for Epaphroditus and the Philippians since he felt responsible for Epaphroditus because the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to Paul to minister to him. Did you follow all that? In other words, they're all concerned for one another. They're all worried about how the other one's going to respond when they hear all, these, all this news. So thankful for God's mercy to Epaphroditus. Verse 28, Paul decides to send him back to Philippi. So that the believers there would be relieved and encouraged by seeing their beloved son in person. And they, of course, would rejoice all the more because it's very likely that Epaphroditus was the one who was going to be delivering this joy-filled letter to them. But we should note, so that would have been a great encouragement. And get rid of everybody's anxiety and concern. But we should also note that sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to Philippi, though certainly now that's going to be a huge blessing for the Philippians, well, this was a great sacrifice on Paul's part. In verse 20, Paul says that Timothy was one of a kind. He was like-minded with Paul. That is, they truly were like kindred spirits in ministry and in their devotion to Christ. And so losing Timothy, of course, meant losing a very key support and encouragement. And Epaphroditus was also a great blessing to Paul as well. Now note Paul refers to Epaphroditus as a faithful fellow worker in the ministry, and as a brother, and as a faithful fighter. These two men were truly genuine and competent, Paul, uh, Timothy and, and Epaphroditus. And if Paul sends them both to Philippi, well, who's going to be there to, to encourage and labor with Paul? Well, at this time, seemingly no one. That is, no one except those mentioned in verse 21. Those who seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. And here Paul is likely referring to those that he mentioned back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, those who would preach Christ from envy, strife, self-ambition, and those who were doing so in order to, uh, to cause Paul even greater distress while he's in prison. See, these were the ones that are going to be left behind for, for Paul's company. The well-being of the Philippian believers becomes so much more important to Paul that he's ready and willing to send away those who are most beneficial to him, even if it means that he's going to be stuck with those who are petty and selfish. Brothers and sisters, these are very ordinary and yet practical examples of how we can be Christ-like as well. Though Paul's concern for others and his sacrificial devotion to seeing that others' needs are made a priority, he's truly being Christ-like. He's being just like Christ, who saw back in verse 7, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus do that? So that he might be able to identify with us and meet our deep spiritual needs. 
and free us from sin and its condemnation. And so we, may we be so challenged to so, show such Christ-like love and concern for one another. Now Paul, an apostle, is not ordinary enough of an example for you, but we still have his fellow workers whom Paul highly commends, Timothy and, and Epaphroditus. Now Timothy, again, was a, was a very young man, perhaps in his, his late teens or early 20s, when Paul met him in Lystra and took him on his journey into Macedonia way back at the beginning. And so Timothy was there with Paul when they, the church was first established at Philippi. Timothy's mother was a believer, but apparently his father wasn't. And it's now about 10 years later. And Timothy is still an ordinary young man, though he has some good experience under his belt, having shadowed Paul in ministry all these years. And so this is the one that Paul is now sending to Philippi to encourage them. He's well equipped, but he still is, in relative terms, a a young man. As we said earlier, Paul says of Timothy that in verse 20, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Timothy was was very much like Paul. He had a genuine, heartfelt concern for the welfare of the Philippians. Again, remember, he was there at the beginning. They were truly like-minded. And if Paul was was Christ-like, well, that means that Timothy was also Christ-like. And the comment Paul makes about Timothy being the only one of this sort shouldn't be taken to mean that Paul thought Timothy was the only faithful worker, Right? There were certainly many others, including Epaphroditus. But Paul and Timothy had a special relationship. And as we'll soon see, Timothy was like a son to Paul. Besides, it's likely that Timothy is being held in comparison to the selfish ones that he mentions again in verse 21. These ones who were not like-minded with Paul and who certainly were not like-minded with Christ. Timothy, though, shared in Paul's love and great affection for the Philippians. And the Philippians were well aware of this. Paul says in verse 22, you know his proven character. right? So they know firsthand the quality of character that Timothy possessed. He was with Paul uh, in the early days of the ministry in Philippi. Timothy was there, shared with Paul in the unjust suffering and persecution when they first arrived. He tested through the trials and, and through many others, uh, difficulties that Paul endured on his various missionary journeys. As the Philippians would have heard, Timothy had shown himself to be a true and faithful disciple. And Paul continues his commendation of of Timothy saying, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. And here we see that Timothy was loyal and he was devoted And you can just picture him standing at Paul's side as a child would stand at the side of his father. He's working on a project. right? And the father is there leading, guiding, teaching. And the son is there staying close with a watchful eye, with an open heart and an open mind to receive the instruction and the wisdom that his father would impart to him. It's a beautiful picture. There's no disrespect, no talking back, no complaining or arguing. Timothy so loved God the Father, and he loved Paul, his uh, father in the faith, that he worked diligently now for the spread of the gospel through many trials and struggles. And this, all the while, again, thinking of Timothy as a young man, all the while other men 
who are Timothy's age, what are they doing? They're, they're caught up in pursuing their own selfish lusts and desires. Right? So here we see Timothy as a young man who's really standing out in his generation. He's got principled character. He's faithful. He's morally pure. He's devoted to God and he's selflessly ministering the gospel to others even in the midst of trouble and hardship. He's not running away from hardship. In all this, Timothy was pursuing true Christ-likeness. He wasn't only imitating Paul, but he was also imitating Jesus, the very Son of God who made it his heart's desire to obey all that his Father had given him to do, even laying down his life for undeserving sinners like us. Truly may the Lord challenge each of us, but especially our young men and women, to imitate Christ-like examples, even as young Timothy did. But then we have Epaphroditus. And here's another ordinary man. Epaphroditus appears to be a native son of Philippi who'd been sent by them to not only bring a financial gift to support Paul's ministry, but also to help and encourage Paul in a more hands-on way. In verse 25, Paul says that he's my uh, brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but he's also your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. And so Epaphroditus himself was a great gift to Paul in the ministry. And he, like Timothy, was faithful and devoted to the Lord's work, as Paul says in verse 30, that not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now, we should... Step back for a moment here and should note that Paul isn't slamming the Philippians or being ungrateful as if he had expected something from them and they didn't deliver. No, not at all. Everything that Paul received them from the Philippians was unexpected and certainly not demanded of them. And so Paul is saying here, he said, look, you know, the financial gift that you, would have, uh, that you sent would have been more than enough. But you went over and above. You sent Epaphroditus to minister and to encourage me in this ministry. And that was beyond anything that I could possibly have ever imagined. If there was anything lacking in your support, and surely there wasn't. But if there was anything lacking, Epaphroditus has more than compensated for it. He has likely exceeded even your own expectations of him. And then Paul goes on to commend Epaphroditus in verse 25 as my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. Again, united together in faith and purpose, Paul and Epaphroditus, you see them here working side by side, engaging in in various spiritual battles and um, defending the truth of the gospel against false teaching and and, um, pagan ideas, but also at the same time, Pressing the attack against the forces of darkness in the world. They're in this together and they're fighting together and they're uh, building one up together. Clearly, Epaphroditus wasn't a slacker. He was sent to do a job, not only to encourage Paul, but to be at his disposal for whatever need the gospel may demand. And Epaphroditus rose to the challenge and excelled greatly in it. <clears throat> And this he did, even in the midst of trial. Not only trials and struggles from from outside, but Epaphroditus remained devoted to his task, even though he suffered greatly with sickness, even 
coming close to death. Now, we don't know the nature of his illness, but it, it certainly must have been severe if he had come close to death. But so, so much so that, that everyone was worried about him. When those in Philippi heard of his illness, they were worried. But note in verse 26, Epaphroditus was more concerned about the Philippians' concern for him than he was about himself. He didn't want them to be filled with sorrow and worry. And he especially didn't want them questioning or doubting whether they should have sent him. They might have been thinking back home, oh, maybe we, should, maybe we didn't know he was going to get sick. Maybe we should not have sent him. Maybe it was a big mistake. But, but Epaphroditus, no, this was the right thing to do. He doesn't want them. He, even in the midst of his illness, he knew that his coming to Paul was the right decision. So much so that he literally risks his life to fulfill his ministry obligation to Paul and to the furtherance of the gospel. Epaphroditus also gives us a practical example of what it means to be Christ-like. In fact, when Paul says in verse 30 that Epaphroditus came close to death, literally to the point of death, it's interesting, it's the same description that Paul gives us of Jesus and his obedience in verse 8. That he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so Epaphroditus didn't hold a pity party when he got sick. He didn't just withdraw and, and become self-focused and woe is me and sick and everybody needs to come and serve me. No. Understanding the honor that had been given to him and entrusted to him by his fellow Philippians, he pressed on in his calling seeking to faithfully fulfill the task with which he had been charged, ministering to Paul and contending for the truth of the gospel. May we be so Christ-like in carrying out our own calling to the glory of God. But there's still one final example of a faithful servant that we have to consider here. We've looked at Paul and his ordinary fellow workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Well, now let's consider the example of the ordinary folks who made up the congregation in Philippi. Certainly we can relate to them as, as an ordinary congregation of God's people today. Already, before receiving Paul's letter, we see the Philippians displaying Christ-likeness in very practical ways. We see it first in their very obvious concern for Paul and his ministry, especially now that they've learned that he's in prison. They show Christ-likeness by not only financially supporting Paul in the ministry, but of course by sending Epaphroditus to serve and minister to him on their behalf. Certainly there was much to be done in Philippi. Right? Both within the congregation as well as, as in the community as the congregation would seek to, to minister the gospel to those in their midst. You see, they look beyond themselves and they put the needs of others ahead of their own and they sent out Epaphroditus who certainly would have been an asset to the ministry in Philippi. But here they send him out to carry their financial gift and minister to their beloved father in the faith who was in a very faraway land in prison. A congregation that's focused beyond itself is a congregation that is truly Christ-like. And knowing their zeal and desire to be Christ-like, we know then, <clears throat> then that they'll further show this love and devotion to Epaphroditus 
when he returns. We know that they'll take Paul's charge to them seriously, even as seriously as Epaphroditus took their charge to minister to Paul. And so in verse 29, he says, Paul urges the Philippians, Receive him then in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. So Paul, again, taking the opportunity to commend Epaphroditus, challenged the Philippians to give him the respect and honor for his faithful work accomplished. Receive him gladly with great joy, not only because God had mercy on him and spared him from death, but that he represented the Philippians well. And especially he represented his Lord and Savior well in carrying out the work of the ministry. And though Paul makes this challenge to, to the Philippians to receive Epaphroditus this way, we know it would certainly apply to the reception of Timothy when he would eventually arrive as well. And so Paul is laying before them these faithful servants. He's saying, look, don't worship them. Don't grovel at their feet. Don't place them up on a pedestal and, and say, oh, these are, are saints and, and men that we must uh, uh, worship and, and greatly honor. No. But certainly honor and respect them. But above all else, love them. Love them and pray for them as they carry out their work. Christ-like is the congregation that honors and respects her elders, her deacons, her missionaries, her Sunday school teachers, and her members who faithfully go about the work that God has called them to do. Respect and honor one another. Beloved of God, these are given to us as examples. We're challenged to follow in their footsteps. The footsteps of Paul, of Timothy, of Epaphroditus, and the Philippian believers. And we're challenged to follow them as they follow Christ and as they seek to be more and more like Him. Ordinary people doing ordinary things all to the glory of God so that the gospel may go forth. These are faithful servants. But there are certainly others. Think about it. Who are the faithful servants among us? Certainly there are many. There are many who have left us and many who still remain. Ordinary people doing ordinary things but in a very extraordinary Christ-like way. Look around. Seek them out and follow their examples as they follow Christ. But then, you yourselves, you yourselves, Step up, and and I'm speaking to everyone, to uh, the young people and the children as well. You yourselves, step up and be such Christ-like examples to others, to both young and old, to those both in the congregation as well as to those in the community and beyond. Strive, fully dependent upon the all-sufficient grace of God, to live as shining examples of what it means to be faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that truly in you and through you, God alone might be glorified. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for the reminder of your word. And you say in another place that 
the things that have been written are given to us as examples to show us how we might live. And you have given us, even in this passage, many examples of how we can just do ordinary things and simple things to demonstrate true Christ-likeness in seeking to serve and, and honor one another and to love one another and to be active in thinking about how we can be faithful witnesses to those around us. Giving us boldness to share the gospel. That even those that we come across on a daily basis, that they might know that we truly are sons and daughters of the King of Heaven. That we are Christians, not just because we say we are, but because we desire to live as Christ lived. Father, we can only do this because of your grace and your mercy upon us. Because of the gift of your spirit that you have given to us through Jesus Christ. To empower us, to strengthen us, to give us the wisdom and guidance to lead us. And even to pick us up and help us when we fall and fail. And we do that often. But we pray we would not be discouraged. Even though we acknowledge that we will not be perfect in life, this life. Give us the grace and the wisdom and the desire and the hunger to pursue that perfection. All for your glory and honor and praise. Because you alone, O Lord, are worthy of such glory. And so we just pray that your spirit would apply these truths to each of our hearts. That we each might be good examples to those around us. As we seek to build one another up and encourage one another. As we seek to be faithful witnesses for your glory. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.